Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video and audio interviews, best-selling and award-winning authors across the genre. I've got a great interview up this month, but I also have an article, an essay by none other than today's guest, Lisa Gardner. That's right. She has an essay up there now called The Scary Business of Being a Suspense Writer. I think I got the title right. I think that's what it's called. Anyway, it's there on Author Magazine right now. You can check it out at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the great Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. They have a great writers conference every year it's been moved to september now it used to be in the middle of the summer now it's in september i think that's okay i think that's okay i liked i've taught at many conferences in september so that's when it is now we still have a great writing contest every year we have a contest for all kinds of genres suspense mainstream memoir romance short stories poetry everything I still think there's, I think there's still time to enter it. I believe you still have a couple weeks left. You can find out about the conference uh, as well as the um, well our monthly meetings that we have that you can either attend in person or virtually over the internet. So that's right, you can attend that meeting from anywhere on the globe. You can learn about that at pnwa.org. Pnwa.org. Uh, I next week, next Wednesday, so that'll be March. 14th, March 14th, Wednesday, March 14th, if you're in the Seattle area, I will be teaching a free Fearless Writing Workshop at East West Books there in uh, Roosevelt District. Free, free Fearless Writing Workshop. That's right. You can check it out. Uh, you can sign up for it if you want on my website, or you can just show up. It's free. It doesn't matter. i love to see you there. i got some new stuff, new stuff I've been thinking about. I'm going to share it that night at that workshop, so I hope to see you there. All right, as I mentioned, well, today, our friend of the show, Lisa Gardner, we've talked to her before at least once, maybe twice. Oh, she's a good one. She's the number one New York Times bestselling thriller novelist with over 22 million books in print, and she's been published in 30 countries. She's also had four of her novels become TV movies, uh, At the Midnight Hour, The Perfect Husband, Survivor's Club, and Hyde, and has made personal appearances on True TV and CNN. Her books have received awards from across the globe. Her novel, in fact, uh, their novel, The Neighbor, won Best Hardcover Novel from the International Thriller Writers, while also receiving, and my French is not so good, but I'm going to try this, receiving the Grand Prix de Lectrice de L in France. You've got to go check it out. Let's talk to Lisa. Lisa, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bill. Thanks for having me on the air. Hey, how was my French Grand Prix? Is that the grand grand prize of lectures to win, letters and win, what does that mean? What is that? Can you translate um, that prize that you won? It is the grand prize for basically police writing, or which is you know suspense in France. Right. And the highlight of the evening, it was really really extraordinary. Was Mary Higgins was Clark presented the <gasps> award, wow, and it is still you. like one of like. Yeah, like it was a total fangirl moment. Like the two, wow. some of the biggest highlights of my career, Mary Higgins Clark, and then Stephen King once used my name in a book, and that was good enough for me. I had goosebumps. What? <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, you've made it. Lady. You've arrived. Yep. That, you know that is awesome. It's these little things that make an author happy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, it's true. 
Don't you think it's true because, you know, there you are and you're – I mean, I know you probably hear from a lot of fans and you got there. But, you know, you're in your little cave. Don't you like to ride horses? Am I confusing you with um, someone else? I'm no, confusing I'm a, with someone I'm else. I'm a hiker. Yep, I live in the Okay, never mind. I've, been, you know, I've interviewed so many people. I get them all yep. twisted up. But, <laughs> you know, you're in your cave. And i got to tell you, sometimes hearing from one person who said, oh, this was just the thing you said. I so loved your book. It can mean a ton, I yeah. think. My favorite is every now and then you get a letter from someone saying, you know, I used to read all the time and then, you know, went off to college, I had kids, I did whatever, life happened, I stopped reading, and I picked up your book and, oh, my God, I remembered now, you know, 10, 15 years later, I absolutely love to read and I don't only love your book, but I can't wait to go buy another book. And that just, you know, as someone who is a lifelong reader and is passionate about novels, that just makes you warm and fuzzy all over. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. And and so you are a lifelong reader. Little young girl, were you just reading, reading, reading all the time? Oh, yes. I I mean, I was a suspense novelist from the start. It was all Nancy Drew, the Bobsy Twins, um, anything, you know, that went bump in the night. I had to read it. And I was one of those, you know, under the covers with a flashlight, no such thing as bedtime. You had to know how the story was going to end. I still read, you know, a a book or two a week. I mean, do you really? I love books. What's the point of being a novelist if you don't love books? Well, you know what? It is sometimes. Another author can get in your ear, and and their their voice can worm their way onto your page, and we can't have that. But that's not a problem for you. Other authors talk about this phenomenon that when they're writing, they can't read. I would right. say I'm not reading something similar to what I'm writing right now, but I just plain love to read. So I switch genres. I'm reading nonfiction. I'm reading historical. I'm reading romance. I read a lot of young adult. Um, There's Mm -hmm. just so many flavors of ice cream out there. If you're worried about the chocolate being overpowering, you know, switch to Uh chocolate mint. (laughs) Now, Lisa, have you ever considered dabbling in young adult? Does that appeal to you at all? You know, I do like having things that I just plain love to read, but I don't need to do myself. Um, What I love about young adult novels is the dialogue is so fast. I feel like there's elements I can still learn from and helps me become better in my, you know, adult suspense novels. But um, I don't – well, I guess, you know, in – my new book, Look for Me, there is a 17-year-old who's a major character, and maybe that right. has some influence, you know, the teenage angst yeah. and what does it mean yeah. to be a teenager, though I would argue it comes more from raising a teenager than reading about <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember being a teenager? God, it all seems like I mean, like of course you can, but do you really, ago. can you remember what it felt like? <laughs> you know, if you're an author, your job is to be able to walk in everyone's shoes. Yeah. I think the harder part is it all seems like it was yesterday, but um, if you actually yeah. stop and do the math, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah, teenage years are so formative. It's such a big deal, I think, for a lot of people. And Were you reading suspense at that time already? I mean, like, because I can remember reading Eye of the Needle when I was uh, 14, I think. I just thought, God, I can't put this thing down. And so do you remember the first time? I mean, Nancy, because I read the Hardy Boys, too, and that was really kind of where I just became, I fell in love with reading. But do you remember the first, like, actual adult thriller you read? You know, okay, so I'm the 80s, so I'm back in the days. I remember Sidney Sheldon. 
Yeah, yeah, I read Sidney Sheldon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those were Which one? A lot of them? All of them. Yeah, like tons of them. I read whatever my mom brought home. I mean, I needed her budget to buy the books. Um, A lot of Stephen King, a lot of John Saul. V.C. Andrews was huge back then. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. I still love the gothics, a lot of my thrillers, which, you know, everyone says the gothics are dead, but I think we just reinvented them as domestic thrillers, um, which is what I write now. It's the same principle. You're not worried about the stranger killing. You're worried that the person you fell in love with, I mean, your husband, your sibling, your father is the person you should fear the most. To me, the domestic thrillers of today are the gothic novels from the 70s. And that's I mean, that's all the stuff I grew up reading. So, of course, it's what I'm writing now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the gothics, there was the creepy, it was the it was sort of the monster among you. you. Uh, yeah, and you didn't know who can you trust. It's, right. The gothics are very much about who can you trust. And it's interesting because yeah. right behind you is completely about that. I mean, it's a family that's been found. They're all murdered, and the 17-year-old daughter's missing. Did she help kill right. them? Is she the next victim in this whole right. family dynamic, which Detective Dee Dee Warren now has to scramble with a full-on Amber Alert to try to unravel? Were these people good people? Did they hurt each other? Did one of them kill them right. all? Did one of them put someone in jeopardy? It's, again, that to me is a very gothic element. The people you love the most might be the people you should fear the most. It was a whole rash of movies uh, in that time where it was babies. <laughs> babies were yeah. what were going to kill you. Oh, they creeped me out. I couldn't bear yeah, it. Like I couldn't John just watch Salt the commercials stuff. for them, let alone yeah. watch them. Oh, they freaked me out. And I have to tell you, like, so, uh, I, I got, it's, it's Look For Me. Look, is Look For Me out right now? It is, yes. right? Yes, Look For Me is available. Okay. Look, look For and Me is the latest. And list. Yay. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, no surprise there. Uh, (laughs) You know, um, Lisa, you're such a nice person, but this book, I was a page in, I was like, oh, Jesus, God, what's going to happen? Oh, don't do that. Oh, what's going on? I can't can't handle it. I'm too weak. And so how do you, as a a person who has to go about her days, when you sink into the mindset of suspense and who do you trust, it doesn't mess with you the rest of your day? Putting you in that sort of vibration of fear. It's interesting what you're saying because I've had readers tell me that they think Look For Me is one of the scariest prologues they've ever read. scared the bejesus out of me, Lisa. It's it's up on the website. (laughs) If readers and writers want to check it out, you can can just try on the prologue and see if if it's for you or not. If you can handle it. It didn't even occur to me writing it. I mean, I see books almost like as a movie in my mind is the expression people use. And, And I was just writing away. I didn't judge yeah. it. I didn't think about it. I wanted a rather horrific opening to prove later how strong and important this girl Sarah is. So right. I knew whatever right. happened had to be bad, but I guess even I didn't realize just how bad it was until people started like, oh my God, I can't believe you. It's like, yeah. Okay, apparently wow. that really was um, intense. <laughs> yeah. So no, well, apparently it doesn't affect the rest of my day. <laughs> No, apparently it doesn't. This has always interested me. I, I know a bunch of people who I know a couple of people who write I, I three I know who write only about serial killers. You know, and they're the happiest, yeah. sunniest people. 
people you never want to meet. Uh, oh, I tell so everyone, hang with the suspense novelist at the bar. We we are definitely the happiest people in the room. They are. You are. You're happy. You're 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 really easygoing, and I don't quite get that, but it seems to be kind of the case. It's it's the rare time I meet a moody suspense writer. I can explain it actually. All right, lay it I mean, on me. Okay, so why do we have criminals? Because suspense novels spend a lot of time researching crime. The very definition right. of why someone commits murder or any crime at all is lack of coping skills. I had to do uh. I didn't want to divorce my wife and have to pay her half of my income, so I had no choice. Right. I had right. to kill her. So right. the inverse of that, the opposite side of the coin, is your detective. Any detective has great coping skills. They have these very stressful jobs, and they're coming in to solve the riddle. They're viewing a very horrific situation very analytically, and they're looking right. for solutions. If you're a suspense right. novelist, we do spend some time of the criminal, but everyone reads suspense for the detective. So most right. of our days are spent problem-solving. We're not thinking right. this is a horrible crime. They're thinking this is a puzzle. How do we solve this? What skills would you bring to bear? And at the end of the day, because we're solving problems all day long, we're happier people at the end of the day. <laughs> I see. So, yes, because you're really where you're really living is with this sort of competent and and, yeah. and more or less fearless. In other words, the, 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 the detective is not afraid of what you and I would probably be freaked out by. So they're they're not, analytical about it. They're distanced. Right. All the cops I talk to, they're not loners. They're not alcoholics. They're not dysfunctional. Right. They right. are problem solvers. And it's these kinds of problems that just happen to appeal to them. You know, you have right. teachers that are solving the problem of raising the next generation. And you have, you know, detectives that are working on the problem of something bad happened here with this family. Take Detective Dee Dee Warren and look for me. I'm the right. only one that's going to be able to figure out the truth and save, hopefully, a 17-year-old girl, except poor, poor Dee Dee Warren. She can't decide, is the 17-year-old the killer? Or the next victim. Right. But other than that, right. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> so it's, it's oh. solving a puzzle. You're constantly, and I think readers love that. I think that's why we read suspense. Our days are long. They're filled with a lot of crap problems. At the end of the day, we want to sit down and read something. Where it's far yeah. away from us, and there is a solution. <laughs> that's, I, well, it's true. You know, you, you want. Uh, there's a, there was a there was a memoirist I I interviewed recently. What the heck's her name? Oh God, I, mean, I forget them, Lisa. So forgive me. But she writes a me- she writes memoirs. But she's she was talking to me about how the only thing she does now at night is watch Jason Bourne movies again and again and yeah. again. She just wants to yeah. see this guy, this incredibly competent person, you know, do the right thing at the end. And, well, he doesn't totally wrap it up, but kind of wrap it up. There is something so yeah. satisfying about knowing resolution. The good guy is going to yeah. live and and catch the killer. Well, and it's interesting because in Look for Me, I brought back a second character named Flora Dane, who was a woman who was once abducted and and held captive for 472 days. Um, It's now six years later, and far from getting on with her life, she's become a vigilante. And readers just adore her. So I brought her back in Look for Me, and I kind of joke. There's like, do you want to be Team Dee Dee Warren? you know, a by-the-books homicide detective, or do you want to be team Flora Dane, because she wants to find the missing girl, too, who right. is, you know, total kick-ass female Jason Bourne. If she finds 
the perpetrator first. She won't be it's arrested. All over. Let's put it that right. way. And let's, <laughs> right. And it's fascinating to me how many readers are like, oh, we're so foreordained. <laughs> right. There's sure. definitely a mood. There's definitely kind of a switch in justice has become more visceral for the average person or that gives us a greater sense of resolution at night. I don't know which. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, I think that we, when we think about justice, just act meted out by ourselves, it wouldn't be in this long, slow process of the courts. It would be swift yes. and maybe violent. You know, oh, one okay. of the first things I learned as a suspense novelist, and I found it fascinating. My very first editor was like, you may not end suspense arresting someone the bad guy must die the readers will not accept it as closure afterwards it's like a hard and fast rule of suspense now you tell me what's the last suspense novel you read where they arrested the guy at the end that's true we don't have you held to that for low your 57 books whatever you've written yeah, and I've never met, I've not, and I read all the time, I've not read a suspense novel that has deviated from that yet, and it always occurs to me, it's like, yeah, because the reader does not accept that as a happy no. outcome. That's what well, we I know. about our criminal justice system. Well, I know why. It's, it's psychological, too, because the, the, the villains represent, I mean, now to get a little psychological on you, but I'm going to do it, they represent a kind of shadow version of ourselves, I believe, and that we want them gone, not just arrested, but gone. We want them dead. We want like that part of ourselves we would like to just see die, our own fear and our own lack of coping. We would like to, so I think, yeah. In fact, here's something for you. I've noticed this in movies. And my, I pointed out to my sons, and they were amazed that I was right. But it's true. In a typical suspense or any typical Hollywood movie, the villain dies by falling from a high place or by being burned. It is rare that they die any other way. They have to be consumed by nature. Yeah. Sometimes they're shot, but it's rare. Fall from a high place. Sometimes fall from a high place into fire. Sometimes into water, but usually falling from a high place. Yeah, that's how it has to die. It can't just be that the hero can't kill them. They have to sort of just be released into nature. How's that? It's little semiotics for you. I know. Yeah. Uh, But it's it's true. Check it out next time you're watching a movie. And they're going to be up someplace high, and they're going to be wavering around, and the hero might even try and grab their hand, and then over they go. Um, Well, they, they do that moment a lot, yeah. Yeah. No, it's true, but it just is. it's more satisfying to see them plummet to their own death yep. in the end. All right, so, you know, I know this is kind of a – so, like, I was thinking about um, that horrible story from the news in the last couple months of that weird family who were keeping their children, like, oh, just, like, torturing them, really. Yeah. Did you see that story? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, as someone who does what you do for a living, do you see that and think, oh, interesting? And does your little mind start ticking, or does it not work that way for you? Um, Almost all of my books have been based on true crime. Um, Look for me is no exception. It's based Uh on a kind of case we do see once or twice a year nationwide where literally a family is murdered and a teenage daughter is missing. And in the real world, and this is what kind of drew me to it, it's a 50-50 proposition. Half of the time, the teenage girl did help murder her family. And in that situation, you're almost always talking because of an evil boyfriend, friend, drug situation. But the other half of the time, the family was murdered in order to kidnap the teenager. Really? and, and, and that kind of setup as a suspense novelist, and particularly someone who does like these domestic thrillers, as we call them, 
does yeah. become immediately fascinating to me. And so, for example, when I wrote to Look For Me, I worked with the police. I set up exactly that kind of construct. I came up with an entire family. I picked the house they would live in. I gave them jobs. And then I, I very sadly, you know, shot them all on page one, except for this teenage <laughs> girl. And even I didn't know. Did she do this or did she not do this? Is she the victim? Is she the killer? Oh, you're one and of those. Me, you don't I'm know. one of those. I don't oh. know the whole rest of the book. And so I like true crime because I still think the real world is stranger than fiction. And But I like situations that really are ambiguous. We don't have the answers. It could go either way. And police like statistics. And and so for someone like Detective Edie Warren, who generally has some assumptions about every case, you know, if the wife's been murdered, arrest the husband. I mean, right. she can't even draw any conclusions. She has to issue right. an Amber Alert because it's a juvenile. But is she looking for a dangerous armed felon or is she looking for, you know, truly someone who's being abducted and held against? I mean, she really cannot get her bearings in the case at all. And that's really difficult if you're a detective, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to work that blind. Wow. So, all right. So, listeners, do you hear that? So here we have another suspense writer who has a body, so to speak, or has a problem, but doesn't know the answer when she's started. You find out yeah. as you go. So I find that fascinating. I know other mystery yep. writers and suspense writers who do that. Some do, some know, some don't, right? And yep. so how long does it take you to figure out what you got? How long does it take you to figure out who the killer is and who isn't and what? How long does it, do you not really not know until like the very end or does it start becoming clear? Like how does that work? It's, it's generally closer to the ending. Like I, like maybe for the last fourth of the book, I know what I'm doing. Uh, there have been times when, honest to God, like three days before my deadline, I'm like, what the hell is this madness and what did I get myself into? That's not so much fun. I really don't recommend that. <laughs> but wow. when I first started my career, I did outline because like many new writers, I just couldn't take the stress of confronting a, you know, a blank page each day. Yeah. But for suspense in particularly, at least for me, because there's no right way to do this. It's whatever works for you. An outline becomes the best idea I had in one day. And those plot points uh, at the end of the day become kind of linear because you came yeah. up with them all at once. And A does have yeah. a tendency to lead to B to C to D. The books weren't as exciting. When you don't yeah. know where you're going, one, you can't broadcast it. But three months later, now that you've been writing about these characters and immersing yourself in this world, it's interesting. I know it's all fiction. I know it doesn't exist. But you suddenly have these bizarre aha moments about, you know, voices in your head. You're like, wait a minute. I know what she's trying to say. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know it's real. And then it's you real. have the better idea. And the book takes on a new twist, better depth. It's a scarier way to write, but I think the the story at the end is the better for it. Yeah, I think that you, you, you really get to, you know, I was talking to, uh, I mentioned this before, but it was interesting because I interviewed James Lee Burke uh, about a month ago, and yeah. he was absolutely adamant, like, I don't write these things, I don't know where, it's not my job to know, you got to make yeah. peace with what happens at the. I don't know what he just has the vaguest idea, and yeah. I I totally agree with you. Uh, I actually I write about I write narrative nonfiction. I write about my own life only. But I and you would think I could know what I'm going to write, but I don't. 
I have to go in and be very open to being surprised about what it is I'm actually going to write about. And sometimes I have ideas. And I say I'm going to write about being writing about writing, and I end up writing about playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was 12. You know, it can go any yeah. way. But you know, but you have to be so open to that change because you want to listen to the muse and what she's saying right then. You know, there has that's to what's be strongest. some magic to it. I've been a novelist 25 years. It's 40-something books at this point. If there wasn't magic, what are you showing up for each day? I I tease my own readers. I'm like, you're going to read whatever I write in like two days, particularly if I get (laughs) my job right. But I'm going to spend a year working on it. So there's got to be something in it for me. And the not knowing what's going to happen next, trying to figure out is this poor girl Roxy a victim or perpetrator, and who's going to find her first, the detective or the vigilante, it gives me something to show up for each day. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is, how many books have you written? Uh, A lot. I don't really count them. I don't count them. All right, so many that you can't count them, which is, that's all we need to know. And so that's always my, you know, what, what, what keeps you, what keeps, what keeps it interesting? Is it being surprised? I mean, aside from making a living, blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure at this point that wouldn't be such an issue. What keeps it interesting for Lisa? I just keep coming up with ideas. I read a lot of true crime and I still read a lot of suspense and, these ideas just get under your skin and then they become something yeah. you want to explore. And, and, and generally speaking, I end up with the next book idea before I'm finished with a current project. Yeah. So yeah. You're, you're always just moving on to the next inspiration. And the characters take over. I wrote this book, Find Her, two years ago because I wanted to explore what happened to victims of long-term crimes. So this right. became Flora Dane's book. I worked with the FBI, has a whole new group. I didn't even, hadn't even heard of them before called the Victims um, Advocacy Organization, and they are brought in for, like, the Elizabeth Smart, J.C. Dugards, the Boston Marathon bombings. We get right. all these crimes where catching the bad guy is actually not the end of the ordeal at all. You have uh-huh. someone you need to reenter into society. You have victims that may have long-term health consequences if it's bombings or terrorist acts. Who holds their hand? Who helps the entire family? There's financial needs. There's medical needs. There's psychological needs. The FBI has recognized this. We are kind of in a generation of, for lack of a better word, mega crimes. And yeah. that became this book, Find Her, where you learn about Flora Dane. And again, in theory, her crime is behind her. She was kidnapped. The guy, you know, the, the police found her, the, you know, she was rescued. But she still, six years later, five years later, can't magically find her happily ever after. I mean, right. what do you become other than the girl who was once held in a coffin-shaped box? That's and that right. story um, proved so powerful. Readers just wanted more and more of her. And I think about her all the time, even though that makes me sound psycho. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it left an impression on you. Because, so, yeah, so you know, you I meet them like it's a person that you met. Yeah. You know, And then the look for me became an opportunity to bring her back. Because nursing person's cases is what she does. And, okay, when we met her at Find Her, she was trying to come to terms with some things, but she certainly wasn't at peace with it. So what is she doing now? And she's still so interesting, and I love the dynamics between her and 
Didi because they have the same goals, but they have very different ways of getting there that I am writing yet a new book with both of them in it as well. So there is this whole phenomenon where you can't walk away from your characters. You spend so much time with them. I I, I can't imagine not showing up to work and seeing them again. That's okay, awesome. Sound crazy. That, no, you don't. Holy Stop. Crazy. This is this is why I do this show, and why I talk to writers so much. Because yes, to people who don't write, it does sound crazy. But if you've ever written, yeah. there's nothing crazy about it. This is what it is. Yeah. This is just and what this it is. This is why we binge watch TV and we binge read books and you watch the Jason Bourne movies all in a row because you want right. to spend time with that character. And that That's is still right. my number one goal as a novelist. I'm a character driven writer. I want characters that you just, you can't let them go. You care about them. You want to know what's going to happen next. You want to see them succeed and you will follow them book after book after book because you want to spend time with them. Right. Well, Lisa, I'm glad I got to spend some time with you. You were interesting, as always, though I'm not quite done with you. I'm not okay. quite ready to let you go. Uh, I have one more question for you. Well, first of all, before I ask you that question, uh, if people want to meet you in person, do they ever have that opportunity? Do you go around and, and, and uh, make appearances? Do you do that kind of thing? Absolutely. I actually just came off book tour, so the nationwide tour is done. But I will be in New York in July this summer at the uh, Thriller Fest, the annual conference Ah. for international thriller writers. If you are aspiring to spend novelist at all, if you can make it happen, please come to Thriller Fest. It's an amazing conference. And James Lee Burke will be there. James Lee Burke will be there? (laughs) He is? He's going to it? yeah, well, he's receiving an award, the Silver Bullet Award. I believe I get to present oh. it to him. Wow. You get to present it to him? I, th- I think Did you I say? have to check my notes, but I think this, yes, because I won it last year. So whoever wow. won it last year presents it again. And the, the keynote wow. this year is George R.R. R. Martin. Wow, wow. So you hear that, yeah. people? It's a big one. Wow, what a, a star-studded event. And you're going to be there. Well, that is awesome. That is awesome, Lisa. It sounds like a great Great time. It's July, Thriller Fest. But yep. before I let you go so you can get back to your to frightening people, I want you to finish this sentence. I bet you've finished this sentence for me before, but the answer sometimes keeps changing, which is so great about this question. So here's the question. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? To be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's ah, never going ah. to get easy. That's right. I tell that to my students because I heard you say that years ago. I thought, that's great, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's so true. It's so true. All right, Lisa, the book is Look For Me. It's scary. It's a page turner. You won't be able to put it down. Go pick it up. Uh, Have fun at Thriller Fest, and good luck with the next book. You're already halfway done with it, at least, if not more, probably, aren't you? (laughs) I'm getting there. (laughs) Okay. All right, Lisa, thanks again. Thank you so much, Bill. All right, bye-bye. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable, people. It's true. You just you have to get comfortable with not knowing. You have to get comfortable with the mystery, the mystery of writing. It's true. I'm Speaking of suspense, I'm going to be back next week with Philip Donlay. We're going to be talking suspense. And once again, if you want to come to the Fearless Writing and you're in Seattle, check it out, East West Books. Wednesday, the 14th of March, 7 p.m. I'll be there. Until then, go do something.